0: Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Peter Rutzler. Unfortunately, today's show won't be focused just on matters on the field, as incidents off it hog the headlines really at the moment, and probably rightly so. Uh, so we start tonight in Amiel where five Lyon fans were seriously injured after a barrier collapsed while they were celebrating their side's goal on 15 minutes. Several other, fa- oh, several other fans were injured, as well as a steward, and the game was abandoned. Uh, Amiens president Joranin said af- in the aftermath, 500 Lyon fans wanted to get on the pitch. The barrier was in perfect condition In, in reti- well, since then. Monsieur Joannin has apologised for those comments, saying that his words were clumsy and ill-measured, and rightfully so. Uh, the incident has brought with it a number of questions into the how, what and why, but these topics are very important really to talk about, Rich. Um, for those who aren't regular viewers of League and football, fans rushing to the front of stands is something we see pretty much in every ground and in every game. But is that kind of behaviour... Should it continue, and and it has to be partially to blame for this, doesn't it?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, you don't want to going to be coming across as, as as sort of trying to point any fingers of blame. It was just an unfortunate accident, um, and unfortunately, it, it seems as though um, those that that were were seriously injured and taken to hospital, I think, all have now been. Released, so I think it could have been far, far worse than it's actually turned out to be. Um, but it was certainly an alarming incident. I mean, we see it all the time. You know, numerous. I mean, Saint Etienne is probably the one a lot of people can can picture. Nantes, I suppose, as well are the two main ones where you really see it, where the goals scored and the you know the sort of more hardcore fans who are normally situated at, at either end will rush forward. And and to the perhaps more casual view, it does look quite dangerous. It, it is dangerous <laughs> you know there, there could be all sorts that go wrong with it but it, it's obviously something that happens week in week out. Um, and yeah hundreds of fans rush forward. Um, it doesn't look good. I don't, I, I've, I've still not quite got accustomed to seeing it and thinking how is there not more injuries as a result of this because it's a sea, you know and not you know, attract decent crowds and it's a sea of people that swarm forward. Um, And, you know, with Amiens v Lille being as as local a derby as you can sometimes get in France, you know, there were a significant number of Lille fans in a very small part of a very, already very small ground. Um, And of course, what that presented itself was that when the goal came in, you had a lot of fans being funneled into a small gap as they rushed forward. And, you know, fortunately in this instance, the pressure on that barrier just got too much um, it, it may trigger it may trigger a wider review into how these these work you know a lot of these grounds the seats are um, just you know rows of concrete with a little plastic padding put on for you know to to highlight where the seat is so that it's easy to stand you know we we uh, you know, all seater stadiums and all that that, that come in around have come in around Europe There's still standing that goes on. And of course, with there not being these rows of neat and proper and definitive seats, it's very easy to rush forward when a goal's scored. So I have a feeling it may trigger a wider review, but I'm not sure this one incident will trigger a widespread halting of of those kind of celebrations.
0: Yeah, I do want to talk about the barrier as well. Peter, because um, admittedly, to the Amiens president joining, he he did make some questionable comments in the initial aftermath, but he has since apologised and, and and admittedly so. And we shouldn't tarnish for him for that. But he's also probably defending his club that have been promoted twice, haven't got the most, the enormous budget that some other clubs have, or, or frankly, they've probably got a lot, a lot less than anyone who's got a very small budget in in Liga sometimes. And in all honesty, should there be more stringent checks on these barriers, so, if, so these kind of incidents don't happen?
2: Well, on a basic level, the answer, the, the answer should be yes, because uh, as, though, as people who watch Ligue 1 all the time, we are familiar with it, and like Rich was saying, it is something that is very difficult to come accustomed to. I remember when I first started watching Ligue 1 more regularly, and then you watch at Saint, Saint-Etienne, the one that sticks in my mind the most, because that was the first one I noticed it happening, and when they score and they do rush forward it is something so dramatic and such a strong movement of people and of course we're coming from a culture where we've got uh hillsborough sort of ingrained in in us and you know, in our mindset when it comes to to fan safety so in terms of should there be better safety checks well plainly yes there has to be and it's got to be accepted that this is part of french footballing culture um among supporters um, Obviously this isn't the first time These kind of incidents have happened there have been like minor ones I think, there was, I think Bordeaux had two in 2015 I think looking back um, and There was an incident at Lille as well With only a small number of injuries But never as serious as this um, But you're right to bring up the, the wider issues of, of finances Especially with a club like Amiens Who have had back-to-back promotions um, With this instance in particular There was the, the fact that the fans fell About one and a half metres I think it is which is quite dramatic and that's that's why the images that that we saw were so um, well on well, the event itself and why so many people were injured um, it's a difficult one because if you suddenly look for wholesale changes and you start looking wider and say well we can't have this, you can't have fans rushing forward, you can't all stands just um, be all seater there are a number of clubs who financially just cannot afford to do that I think in Amiens case themselves I think they've bought, is it two thousand seats of um, Evian? I think, and they are they are in a process of, or I don't know if they've completed it now, um, of uh, renovating the Stade de la Lincoln. So, and that that gives you uh, an idea of uh, where they're at. And I think there are a number of clubs in France who are redeveloping their 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 stadiums at the moment. Um, but financially, for for, for, for Amiens, it's it's a huge weight, and it's not just the case of. Um, there's so many things that come into mind when you when you get promoted, and it's not just the the case of okay, um, we've got to sort our stadium out. You've got the playing squad. I mean, the jump from Liga to Liga is very high, um, and it's quite it's 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 it, for the LFP to suddenly introduce wholesale changes would be, without any kind of support, would be very difficult I think um, to, to fully implement. and I, There are alternatives they can look at, um, I was just looking up at what other ideas are out there and of course there's a debate in, in, at the moment in English football about the reintroducing safe standing similar to what they have in Scotland with, with barriers, which would prevent this kind of movement. So that would entail a change in how supporters act behind uh, the goals uh, in a way stands. But for Amiens, I think, being promoted, not just in terms of the um, infrastructure needs to improve, but by being in Ligue 1, um, you're going to get bigger away support. I mean, they had Marseille visit a couple of weeks ago. They brought 500 fans. They were were doing the same thing. Um, Lille bring 500 and and, and the barrier itself has given way. So quite clearly, there are some fundamental issues with the actual structuring of the ground. But these are things that, especially for a club that's jumped two divisions, um, would need to get their head around quite quickly. Um, and that uh, all of these things will be assessed, and I think the inquiry starts on Thursday. Um, but there they could be some serious ramifications for Amion, which, you know, on the, which you know you could understand, of course, because this is a very serious event to happen. But there are other issues at play here, especially financially, as 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 we've mentioned.
0: Yeah, and I think Peter brings up a, a very good point in the sense that uh, financially it can be very difficult. And although fan safety should be absolutely at the top of every list, staying in Liga is as important for financially for clubs because you look at teams like recent memory like Avion and, and Bastia that have fell out of the league and as soon as they've fallen out of that league-owned bubble, they've absolutely collapsed. and You do fear for some clubs sometimes if that kind of thing happens. Again, don't you, Rich? That Yes, the fan safety should be important, but a lot of clubs are focusing on trying to get as good a squad as they can to to remain in that league, to then gain financial support to do those kind of things.
1: Well, absolutely, you know. I mean, it's 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 well documented how menacing and and uh, uh, sort of punishing the DNCG can be. That that obviously look into and make sure that these these clubs are operating, um, you know, in a way that makes financial sense, but. Uh, I do think at the smaller end of the scale, as we see a larger, you know, this larger gulf of money coming in at the top end of the league, there's naturally going to have to be, you know, plenty of teams that are going to be missing out on all these luxuries. And I think that there then needs to be a look at, well, you know, we need to put in place these supports. You've seen obviously in you know the Premier League, these clubs that get relegated, the parachute payments. We can't compare because the TV money in England is obviously just at another level, another four or five levels above where, where League Earn is. But I do think that, you know, the DNCG, I'll use them as the, the, the example with them being the, the financial arm of the, of the governing body, that they're very quick to pounce on those that, you know, once they're in trouble, it's, it's perhaps should they be also helping those so they don't get into that, that troublesome spot. You know, should it have come to a point where, you know, Bastia, Evian, uh, and there's been plenty of others lower down the leagues and lower down the divisions, as well. Should it be that they've got into that point, or should there be some, you know, if the DMCG is there to punish those that that get into that that kind of state, should they also be there to try and prevent as well? Um, you know, I'm not going to say that this this incident will. Cause all sorts of reviews of, of of how you know fans behave at stadiums, on how stadiums themselves are designed and and kept it to date. But we're right that these all these are all questions that should be asked, and all ways that we can think about, you know, how how can things like this? We don't want to see things like this. Of course, we don't want to see things like this. Uh, and as I said earlier, we're incredibly fortunate that actually there wasn't far far worse repercussions from this, but you know, let's almost use this to, to, to have these kind of debates, but obviously at a, a much more senior level where there can actually be some decisions implemented. But certainly from a financial perspective, I can see why clubs are, 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 are perhaps slightly um, put off in Vettel. It, it makes them sound like they're being, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're doing this on purpose. Of course, of course, you know, the way that, that, that amien run the club, of course they're not intending that things like this fail, but you know decided well instead of doing this around the ground we need to invest in actually signing this player and i think as we've the key thing i think for me is is that we see this disparity at the top of the table with so much money coming in and and numbers that that are getting to sort of premier league level and beyond of eye watering that that these smaller clubs like like. You know, Dijon, all those kind of clubs that are at the bottom of the table, that are of course not going to be able to go anywhere near the level of financial benefit that the other teams have. Just perhaps have that little bit of support. So, you know, fingers crossed that we see positive changes from this, from what was obviously a very, you know, dramatic and and traumatic incident. But um, we should just have to wait and see.
2: I think. I think it's also important to mention quickly that uh, that. The Stade de la Lincoln did pass the safety checks from the LFP when they were promoted. So, it's we're not looking at uh, a stadium that's dilapidated. I mean, it is a relatively modern design as well. So, there's been some kind of, um, some of something's been missed or there's been some kind of fault with inspection. Um, so, I think that that's also important to bear in mind because we're thinking about how safety checks in, in Liga are. Oh. and yeah,
1: I think when you actually looked at the, the area that the Lille the fans had in that, it was a, it was almost a funnel shape, and mm. so of course you had a, you know wider row of people coming down into a much narrower section, and of course obviously that pressure. But so yeah, it, it may be that that safety checks aren't necessarily going to pick up on these. It has to actually be a it's, it's a design fault rather than a than an actual failure in the quality of the stadium it's that you know you're going to have okay amiens are not going to be attracting big numbers of away fans every game but they have to think that you know your bigger clubs and then your more local clubs are going to bring the maximum allocation that they can have and and thinking you know how how fans can celebrate goals having that sort of funnel shape it just you know the, the, the physics of it just don't work and of course the pressure that builds up on things like the barrier, Sandy can very often only lead to one,
2: you know, one outcome. Yeah, I think that's as much to do with um, the LFP as it is to do with Amiel and, mm-hmm. and it's under their safety checks.
0: Yeah, and I think that brings up an excellent point that I want to finish with, Peter. And that's you did mention when uh, they obviously are, are doing a review later this week, and they could fine Abmian for this incident. But shouldn't this be an excellent chance for the LFP? To do something right, and possibly instead of fining, I mean, say that this should be a time for them to help invest in them in doing the stadium a little bit better, and shouldn't they should they maybe doing a little bit more in the terms of doing the safety, or hopefully renewing whatever the safety checks they were doing, but doing more in terms of investing in clubs to give them a bit of that cash back because. While it might lie on the club's hands, it it definitely also lands on the the shoulders of the lFP as well
2: yeah, absolutely. I think that backs up what what Rich was saying in terms of where the money is going in liga um, and, and this isn't really a time really to be punishing a side like Amion who have made the a, a double leap, and th- they could face a fine which they struggle to pay, they could face a points deduction which could have huge ramifications for them from the end of the season or or even a stadium closure, which again has as financial problems um And it's like we were just saying, it's as much to do with with safety checks, as much to do with failings, not just with Amiens, but with also the LFP. I mean, if they passed all the right boxes and they've had them all ticked, then it's, you know, you can't just throw the book at Amiens because the book itself has got a problem. So, um, yeah, in an an ideal world, you'd love the LFP to turn around and and say, right, we're going to help you out. But I don't see that happening but I don't think at the same time that punitive measures are the right measure, the right thing in this instance.
0: Yeah. Hopefully this can be a lesson for plenty to learn here because that's what really should be happening here. And and I also want to close this out. Obviously we're saying pretty much the obvious. We wish the best for those, anyone who was injured and especially those that were seriously injured and hope. Thank God that, it wasn't more serious because it, it could have been a, a real disaster. Um, but now, let's turn things back to things on the field. And we, before that, uh, we'll look at the news from the weekend. And Monaco continued their European hangover with a one all draw with Montpellier, which saw Suleiman Kamara score in added time to seal a point. PSG kicked off action on Saturday with the a second 6-2 victory of the season, this time against Bordeaux. All of the four forwards got on the score sheet, with Neymar on penalty duties this time around. Away from Amiens, the multiplex saw two 1-0 wins for Nantes over Metz, their fifth win in six, while Caen notched that scoreline away to Rennes, pushing them into the European places. Gengob and Toulouse fought out a one-all draw, while Martin Terrier scored late on to earn Strasbourg a point away to 10-man Dijon. On Sunday, Troyes managed a 2-1 win against Saint-Etienne, despite playing almost an hour with a man down. However, Le Ver kindly levelled up the sides as her nanny was sent off five minutes from time. Lyon threw away yet another lead against Angers as they drew 3-3 again. Uh, Marcelo was sent off in the second half in somewhat farcical fashion, and Legón have failed to win in any of their last five in all competitions, their worst run under Bruno Ginesio. The game that closed out the weekend it was in Nice as the hosts lost 4-2 to Marseille, much to the chagrin of Mario Balotelli if you've seen the video. Uh, Alisson Player also missed a penalty as Luem held out despite losing Gu- Luis Gustavo to a red card in the second half. And that's all the news. But remember to stay up to date with all your French football news. Head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFM. So moving back to matters on the field, really. and Paris Saint-Germain ended on Bordeaux's unbeaten start to the season with a 6-2 spanking. Uh, Neymar back and even taking penalties now. But this was another free-flowing performance, Rich, that feels like they're really clicking to police. Um,
1: absolutely. I'd argue that this certainly going forward was was one of the best PSG performances I've seen for some time. Um certainly I think their best performance by a long way I think their best performance this season. I thought the formation that they had, the, the personnel that they had, the way that they played was was really, really good to watch. You know, this this is the style of play that we want to see from this PA, PSG side they you know these these score lines should be getting to a point where they're no longer a shock they have that much quality over the other sides um really really impressed with with Draxler's performance um you know he's become a bit of a, a sort of maligned marginalized figure i think with obviously the arrivals of neymar and Mbappe to uh, to work alongside cavani so really really impressed with his performance i thought he took his goal absolutely superbly um if, if you haven't seen it i you know i implore you to check it out i know you know neymar scoring a free kick will of course take all the the sort of uh, the, the retweets and all this that and the other but draxler's finish was absolutely super there's a camera angle from the opposite or the corner where the ball ends up and it's a volley on the outside just ever so slightly on the outside of his left foot and the way it just Curls in is, it's a real joy to watch. But his all round game was really really good. Um, created opportunities, created a goal. Um, you know he was, you know he just fit, fitted into that system perfectly, alongside Neymar and Mbappe, Cavani. It, it just worked. Um, by then having no Tiago Tiago Motta in the side, it allowed um, Rabiot and Varati to um to sort of have those positions just in front of the defence. For me for me the whole the whole system just worked. There were a little sketchy moments, I think, defensively speaking. You know, Bordeaux certainly created more opportunities than their two goals um were to show for. Um, but all in all, really, really impressed with the PSG performance. I think to follow that on from obviously such a resounding display against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. You know, this is uh, this this is the as I said before, this is the PSG that we we expect
0: to see here. Yeah, the German was effervescent in that middle of the park. He was absolutely excellent. But Peter, there's other players in that front four that were frightening at times. I mean, Cavani grabs his goal and played reasonably well. Neymar had little touches here and there. He scores a fantastic free kick and notches a penalty, which he'll be at least delighted by as well as. Hugging the Uruguayan on plenty of occasions in front of the cameras as much as he could, um, and Mbappe again had little touches here and there that set up little pieces, especially that goal for Cavani. There was just that bit of link-up play again between those four that just shows that they could be really, really dangerous on their day this season.
2: Yeah, no, definitely, I agree fully with what Rich was saying, and it's very interesting looking at Jackson and how well he did. And you know, we like to talk about trios up front, but there's no reason why PSG can't have a, like a top quad or a top four. Um, and and if they have so many options um, to choose from, and Draxter really put his name well and truly uh, at the forefront of, of choices for for Emery. Um, I mean, I mean, it's been a great week for PSG, and what a difference a week can make. Um, they've gone from the the feud, and they drew last week against Montpellier, and it was a really tepid performance, um, to a week of dismantling Bayern Munich. Uh, midweek with some sensational counter-attacking play and then obviously putting putting on this show at the weekend at the Parc de Princes putting six past Bordeaux which I mean Bordeaux started very well and they do have some issues defensively but they are a strong side by, by legal standards and I agree fully with Rich they, uh, PSG should be doing this week in week out with the, with the squad they have but they really but to do it after the week they've had and the, the difficulties and then to put on a show like that I think was, was, uh, was superb and be such a boost for, for Emery as well who, who will have come under a lot of pressure this week, not least from his own players. But, um, but yeah, I think in terms of the, the there are still some, some issues that PSG will have to look at. Um, I think one way of addressing the, the midfield dearth of players is to use two of them and then use four attackers, which, which we saw and it worked very, very well. Um, we're interested to see what they do in the Champions League And I don't think Mota could continue to play Every week at his age as well um, when you, And their only other Backup option is Nkuku and Nkunku, sorry um, And he's only what, played a couple of games This season, he's only got a handful of minutes So You want to There is still that sort of lingering anxiety I mean defensively they're still not The strongest, I don't think Ariola doesn't inspire that much confidence in me He's definitely the best option they've got but uh, I think looking at um, the back four in front of them, the first goal they conceded was poor. You know, for a side like PSG, you don't want to be conceding goals like that. Not clearing a corner. The whole of the back line had switched off. You had Rabiot just strolling out. And, and they were caught by a Bordeaux side who are effective going forward. And then the, the second goal was uh, a poor challenge from Mounier. So there are issues to tweak. But in terms of Liga, these they shouldn't really be issues when you've got so much power and... Um, Potential up front that they should be walking the division and I know you were looking at could they go the season unbeaten and there is no reason why they can't especially considering that you know with, with Monaco um, floundering a little bit um, maybe their over reliance on Falcao showing through they didn't have a good uh, didn't play well against Montpellier um, the other night so I can't see them they, they would probably be their strongest challenger in terms of an actual fixture. And even they, you know, against that front four uh, or three or whatever Emory goes for, I don't see them really causing PSG any trouble. So a really heartening performance, but I think especially for Emory, especially after the, the week before last. Yeah,
0: not to toot his horn anymore because we've already mentioned him plenty, but Drexler dropping a little bit deeper on occasions and, and driving with the ball was, was a real help for that to, for them, even in a great performance anyway, I thought. I think that leaves the door open for Pastore to still be a, a player in that area if they need to be, but it might even shut the door on Di Maria. He might be looking for the exit door very quickly. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was, gonna, I was just
1: about, to, just about yeah. to add that. I thought it was, uh, you know, Di Maria came on, offered nothing, you had Lo Celso come on, produced a wonderful little dink ball for, for Neymar. I mean, he only came on for a few minutes towards the end. but a beautiful dink ball for Neymar, um, who, who almost, almost got his hat trick with it. So for me, it, 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 you know, Draxler's form, what we know Pastore can do in, in that more sort of central, sort of a number 10 kind of role, what Lo Celso can offer off the bench. We've seen it a couple of times already this season, what he can offer off the bench. For me, you can only spell a an exit for Di Maria in January.
0: Mm, and with Lucas being big pals with Neymar and maybe being a bit more similar to him and, and Mbappe in terms of being a good option for quick counters, I think he might just stick around as to be an extra squad player as well, to be fair. So I think Di Maria might be looking for the exit door. But Peter briefly touched on it there, Rich, and I, I do want to bring this question to you. Um, are there signs that PSG could go undefeated this season in Liga? I'm per- perfectly honest. I feel like
1: that, that that should be what they do. <laughs> you know that that's I keep banging on about that 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 attacking certainly the attacking talent they've got the investment they've made in that squad. There is absolutely no reason why they shouldn't be going unbeaten. I almost think it should be something that's borderline expected of this squad. You know who who is going to beat them? You know there at the office last week against Montpellier. Um, I don't see too many of those, if I'm perfectly honest. They're only going to strengthen in January. Um, and to be perfectly honest, that's going to be in the area, well, you would hope anyway, that's going to be in the areas that they need to, which is, you know, in defence and, and sort of slightly deeper midfield positions. So to be per- perfectly honest, they, they they should be. They really, they really should be. Um, you know, I don't see where a defeat for this this side is coming
0: from. It's, it's tough to see it from anywhere at the moment, isn't it? But Peter, let, let's touch on Bordeaux as well. But they had a great, they've had a great start to the season, and this was always going to be a tough game. But did the speed, especially of PSG's attacks, and sometimes the ease they cut through them, expose that Bordeaux have a really, really slow back line?
2: Yeah, I think it did a little bit. I think I think Galvanex comments after the game saying about, you know, the the free kicks stunned them and then the whole, you know, facing Neymar, Cavani and, and Mbappe just sunk in in that moment sort of thing. I, I don't really see how that can add up entirely. I mean, a lot of sides would be galvanized by that and but you know, uh, there are definitely some if if we are to point out weaknesses in that Bordeaux side, it is in the back line and I I uh, they, I think, they, it was uh, Toulalan and Jovanovic y- who were partnered at centre half. And Jovanovic is still very young, and Toulalan is very old. Um, and I think, as not an, as not being a natural central defender, that that is a slight disadvantage. And against forwards of the calibre of, of Neymar and Cavani and Mbappe, and the, the bench and the reserves as well at PSG, it's, it's there's always that risk of being exposed. Um, I do think they were a bit bit, uh, a bit like a rabbit caught in the headlights a little bit. Um, I do feel like they never really showed what they could have done. I think if they had been a bit more solid and they, they, they could have held out for a little longer, you know, you've got a different game, especially with their attacking potential. Because they, they do have a lot of attacking potential. and We saw that with the two goals they scored. Um, but there was some real class from PSG in that first half. We shouldn't uh, take away from that as well. Um, underlined by the goals of, of Neymar and, and especially Draxton. I concur with Rich about how good that was. The technique was sensational.
0: I do have to admit, I mentioned this a couple of times this season, but but Toulon I, I think is a fantastic player and he has been in, in the past, but he can't be a centre-back. His, his lack of pace really, really puts someone in a disadvantage in that Time and time again, PSG took advantage of it. Anyone with a quick strike force will now look at that as a as a template of how to get at this Bordeaux side. And in all honesty, they either have to drop him now or move him into that midfield place where, if someone does take him on, at least this player's behind him. The problem now is, is if a player takes Toudoulet on, they're on in goal. And yes, they've got Coste in net, which is better than better than they've had recently, at least anyway. But it's not really enough, and it's going to cost them games if they do want to find the Champions League places. They need to sort that out sooner and later rather than later. But we've mentioned it briefly already as well, which is uh, Monaco's result this weekend, where they, again, <laughs> found the conquerors that seem to be Montpellier at the moment, uh, Rich. Uh, with the loss in midweek as well to Porto at home, which was... Several different counter attacks and then being caught on the break. And again, Glick was a little bit exposed for speed. And Montpellier did it a few times again. And, and were maybe just a little bit unlucky. Our teams finally figuring out the Principality side.
1: I think it's a combination of that, and it's a combination of, of you know the, the squad as a whole. Perhaps not necessarily the the starting eleven, but the, certainly the squad as a whole just getting used to. I think what happened. Obviously, with all of last season and the you know the success that that brought and then obviously the major changes that, that occurred during the summer, I think there is still a period of the squad getting used to. They obviously worked so hard, you know. Once the season got underway and there was success there, but I think they're now just experiencing that little bit of a lull, whereby you know they've they realised actually, you know, what? this is a new squad. We need to perhaps you know we can't play how we played last season. Um, you know, if we're going to try that, teams are easily going to pick us off. And, and you know, that's what we've seen once or twice this season. But, um, you know, I think it was almost to be expected, This these kind of performances. I just expected them, you know, week one, week two. I didn't necessarily expect them week seven, week eight. Um, but, you know, I don't. It's, it's certainly not panic stations for Monaco. Um, but it's certainly something that Jardim and his team need to look at. You know, this can't be. You know, they can't allow. Um, yeah, you know, any kind of habitual um, drops in performances. Um, I also wonder how much of it is a, you know, a, a sort of resignation to the fact that, well, you know, the league title has has gone already. You know, is is there a little bit of, you know, do they do they automatically seem to perhaps assume that second place is wrapped up and therefore you know are we seeing glimpses of of foot off gas syndrome kind of thing you know those those kind of things that i start to question you know i I, you didn't expect that of the, the monaco time the monaco side last season um maybe there's a bit of naivety i think um in this side perhaps um there's certainly questions to be asked. Absolutely, certain. certainly questions to be asked. They're stupid as it seems to say they're not the same team as last, te- you know, last last season. Um, they have to adapt, and they've adapted in sorts, but I think they really need to to really look at how they play, um, you know, the style of play that that, that Jardine will implement in that side, and just make sure it's fitting those new players that they brought. Those new players can sort of Fall into that system because if not, then Jardim has to you know, recognize that sooner rather than later to, to revise that system to get the best out of everyone.
2: I think that um, the Marseille result may have been a little bit of a red herring for how good Monaco really are. I think building up to that result, they they were they were scoring goals, but a lot of their goals have come from set pieces. Um, there was a heavy, there is a heavy reliance on on Falcao, and I think once they once they smashed Marseille everyone was thinking, oh, Mon- you know, Monaco, they're the same as last year. And it sort of masked the, the transitions that are going on that you were just mentioning there, Rich. Those sort of, the, the players in different positions, you know, they've got new forwards, um, you've got Ronnie Lopez coming in, trying to take the place of Ronaldo Silva. Defensively, they've had to make changes as well. And I think that may have just slightly altered the lens with which we've been looking at Monaco. Um, and of course, they're one of the, one of the main uh, events that sort of, Shook it was their, their defeat to Nice, um, and then obviously Montpellier. They, they seem to have a knack of getting points off the, the big sides in Liga so far this season. So, um, but maybe it's a flash in the pan, and we'll see uh, Monaco improve. and I, I expect they will with, with transitions. But I think there is definitely that sense that Monaco is that side in transition. You know, this isn't something that's come completely out of the blue. It's just if we I think if we look between the lines a little bit, we might see that. Um, and I, there is a. There, but that said, the the attacking potential is still there, and I think that comes from uh, Jardim as much as anyone. So, we'll we'll see how they how they develop. It's it's also worth knowing that we're eight games in, and they've 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 only drawn
1: only, and they can't afford to to do this. But they've only lost one and drawn one. You know, the other six they've won. And yeah, okay, performance-wise, then they're, they're not at the level that they were last season. But I think there's that as well, just to take into account that. They have still got that. Um, okay, it wasn't shown in the mon- Yeah, it wasn't shown in the um, in the game against Nice. It wasn't shown against, in the game against Mont- uh, Montpellier. But they still have that knack, hmm. which all top teams have, of just getting that result when it's needed. It's it's only it's only two games where they have dropped points so far this season. So that's why I would reiterate that it's not panic stations yet. Um, you know, I don't think there was any expectation on Monaco whatsoever to, uh, you know, to 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 maintain you know, to uh, retain the league and title. Um, but it's just, I think, a little bit of food for thought for Jardine. Um, certainly over this international break.
0: Yeah, and he did mention before the game that obviously it's quite a quick turnaround between Tuesday and Friday, but. Although you can argue the flight out measures into that. PSG had a shorter turnaround with their Saturday 4 o'clock kickoff. And I do have to mention one thing that I noticed, which feels like we're bashing him yet again with Jubil City Bay because he, he always seems to be the the butt of most jokes, but I don't think I've seen a worse performance from anyone this season. He was abysmal. He might as well have been asleep. He was missing passes. He was not controlling the ball properly, he stopped runs abruptly when people were trying to pick him out and they would sail out of bounds. I mean, a number of players struggled in the especially in the first half to really capture any flow, which didn't help. But that he was playing left back and he was absolutely atrocious. <laughs> I feel very, very sorry for him in, in, in one way, but just briefly to touch on the visitors really rich Montpellier and they've had two really excellent draws in the last couple of weeks and nicking one, especially away from home was, was a real benefit, but they need to now translate that into the well, better, even better results against the teams around them now, don't they?
1: Uh, they have to, you know, I, I had them at the start of the season as, as, you know, team, a team potentially to take that third relegation playoff spot um, you know, overall, I just don't think that squad has the quality. But you know, who's to argue with a with a home draw again? Not only just a home draw against PSG, but you know, having a clean, you're keeping a clean sheet against PSG as well, and then going to the Champions and, and nicking a point. You know, you can't you can't fault that. Um, you know, what they need to do is make sure that, as well as picking up those perhaps slightly more unexpected points here and there that they're winning those games that they should be winning you know they've got a couple of tricky games coming up um you know they've got once the international breaks over they've got Nice at home they've got Saint away okay there are two other games where they might get an unexpected point but then they're away at Gangomp and at home to Rennes, and then home to Amiens so uh, sorry Gangomp is a, is a cup game but they're they're at home to, to Rennes, they're at home to Amiens so they're the games that they should be winning, and that's the real acid test, I think, for this Montpellier side. Is it's all well and good picking up a point against one of the the big teams if you're not beating your your sort of rivals near the bottom. That point at that point at home to PSG is is worthless if you're then going to you know lose at home to Ami. Mm,
0: very very important that they build off this. Really, they they looked. Pretty good, actually, to preferring against Monaco. It's the best best I've seen in this season of trying to create something, and they, they did cause some problems. They didn't just nick this, either, as it might have seemed with a the, with the late goal. They, they really put up a fight against the Monaco side that did look really, really poor on the evening. But let's move on now to well, things happening this week, because... Yeah, signal, well, the bat signal's in the air, at least for the French side again, because it's another international break and a, a pretty crucial one, really, for Les Bleus. Uh, France need two wins, really, to be absolutely sure of automatic qualification with Sweden breathing down their necks, really. But, Peter, has Didier Deschamps made some strange personnel choices again? I mean, we praised him last time out because he did bring some of these young players in, but there's there's a number of players now fit again, brought back into the fold again. It's a risk isn't it? It's
2: a bit deja vu isn't it? Deja uh, With Didier Deschamps. Um, yes, is it a risk? Uh, yes and no. Well, it's a risk for him anyway. They have to win these two games. They've got Bulgaria on, on, on Saturday and then they played Belarus. Bulgaria away will not be an easy game. Um, they'll know that Sweden will, will probably beat Luxembourg unless they pull up uh, put up another extraordinary display of both ability uh, and for- and fortune but um, there are some strange decisions. I remember I've, we did praise him last time actually didn't we I think for, for on the whole picking a squad that we could get our heads around um, partly because there was no Moussa Sissoko that was a key part but uh, here he is he's back. Um, I think his reasoning for, for including Moussa Sissoko was that he plays in uh, different positions. So I play in a few different positions. So maybe if I've got French nationality, I, I might have a shot. Um, in fairness to Sissoko, I actually think he's doing okay. He seemed, I think he, I saw him against uh, West Ham uh, when he was playing through the middle, and I thought he did really, really well. That said, that doesn't necessarily mean he, he warrants inclusion in the French national squad. But then yeah, there's the asterisk, so it's Didier Deschamps. Um, I think for me the, the key omissions are Nabil Fakir um, who has missed out um, in the place of Dimitri Payet uh, because according to Deschamps uh, Payet is more flexible um, and Anthony Marshall as well. I think he'll be disappointed that he hasn't um, had himself a call-up. Uh, I've actually done a look at the numbers because I know Des- Deschamps loves a bit of... Um, They've got to be playing regularly as well to to have a to have a shot at making the squad, which is why the likes of courtier haven't necessarily had a stab at it. So I looked at Sissoko's numbers, and they're not, they're better than they have been. So he's he's played four hundred and five minutes, roughly four hundred minutes. It's about four and a half games this season. Martial's quite similar, actually, just just below that, about three hundred seventy minutes. So again, you know, there's a case there to be made. I was looking at uh, Bakayoko um, because he hasn't been in contention for a little while. Um, he has had an injury at the start, this time at Chelsea, but he has played more minutes in Sissoko and he has played more consistently. And he was sensational against Atletico Madrid, I thought, as part of that Chelsea unit that shut down what is a fantastic Diego Simeone side. Um, so I think he was unlucky not to be considered. He's not in discussions I've seen to, to make the squad um, behind the likes of Matuidi and Rabio and, and Toliso, But, I mean, Toliso hasn't necessarily been in the best form of Bayern Munich since his move there um so I think he may be slightly unlucky um Akiyoko but but yeah we go back to the same old same old don't we with with, with these inclusions and I think we'll talk about Jale as well um but yes I think another interesting stand uh, stand-up point was Kazawa making the squad um especially with the the backdrop of blackmail. um it seems to like say he has put that to one side uh in his instance but we won't do that for for uh benzema but yes
0: stranger and then you start adding well, i think bonjamin monday being unavailable as well as affected it to the point where Luca dean is is getting a call up just as just in case but uh, there's a number of different ones there i mean i've wrote an article earlier today on, on paille versus marshall and uh, I even though he's played fewer minutes I, I can't see why you don't try and Bring Marshall with you, even as an impact sub. He's scored five goals and assisted four, and he's played the less minutes than Piate has this season. I, I know some people will point to the fact that one goal was against Burton, two assists were against a, a, a system Moscow side that were pretty terrible. But he was, he has been really electric, and he's been even better off the bench, which. If these games get close, if they get into worry situations, that's the kind of player Like the Luxembourg game, that's exactly the kind of play you really need to bring on as an impact. And, Peter, I agree with you. Sissoko, I think, maybe just about gets a pass on his current form. I, I think it's... it's,
2: it's a Deschamps pass. It's not like a normal
0: yeah. pass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm letting him off on this one. Every single other time, I would have absolutely been up in arms but he has been better and he has been playing for spurs but let's talk about some of those defensive ones really rich and and christophe jale is another surprising one you know he always seems to creep into these squads but we always think about Koshir who who is starting to play for Sevilla now and is, is playing reasonably decently but the other one was the late one which is koshone pulled out and adil Rami's replaced him when there's a wealth of French centre-backs that you could choose from. And especially, I think you mentioned on Twitter, actually, Kurt Zouma especially should be someone that should be mm-hmm. possibly getting a look in, surely. Uh, just to touch on the Jalé
1: issue, um, for me, it highlights the, the main positional problem, I think, with this French squad. And I've gone on about it for what's felt like years now is there are really, a really, really no standout young right backs coming through at the minute um, there's one or two that have the potential um, but there's a real real dearth in quality right backs for France hence why Jalé is still getting picked um, you know what's what's a little concerning maybe is it may be concerning it may not depending on club level and then because club level for city C- C- and and because last outing for france is that both um cut short the training today both picked up knocks so remains to be seen whether they will be fit at all for one both if not one one of the uh the games coming up but i mean Adol ramy i yeah i i i'm a big big day shop defender but I can't really defend the call up of Adil Rami. Um, you know, he's part of a Marseille defence that is not playing well in the slightest. <laughs> um and yeah, as I said on, on Twitter, Kurt Zuma should be there. You've got plenty of others, um, you know, centre back wise who who could have been called up. You know, I'm not buying this where well, you need some experience in there because I'm more than happy with. Varan and Mtti to be providing the experience that I need as far as I'm concerned for centre backs. You know, they're playing at in the world. Um, you know, they're, they're very dependable. I, I, I don't need experience when I know that I've got those two as my centre back pairing. So I can't I can't defend the Rami Call up. I really can't. Um you know, unless Deschamps always had this um, you know, childhood dream to meet Pamela Anderson, I I've no idea. I, I can't. I can't defend. You know, there's there's a couple. You know, I'm I'm very much on board with the Fekir and Martial should have been called up instead of Payet and probably Komen. You know, I I don't know. I don't know what. Certainly, I'm not sure what Komen has done for France for quite a while now.
2: Or Bayern Munich. Um, I
1: can't vouch. For, I, I, well, I, I can't I can't vouch for what he does at Bayern Munich. But by all accounts, it's he's not a standout player. Um, Payet, hasn't been the same player, I don't think, since he, he got the move back to, to Marseille. Sissoko, and with, with the two of you, I can perhaps just about accept that. He's very much a player that, when playing for France, always seems to be this different player than at club level. Um, you know, he's, he's one of Deschamps's, uh, Deschamps' sort of go-to trustworthy guy, he knows what he's going to get from Sissoko in that France squad, which is someone who's happy not to be an automatic starter and will play wherever you tell him to play and seems to always put the effort in. Uh, and by and large actually plays pretty well when he plays for France. Um, but I very much would have liked to have seen Bakayoko in that squad. Um, from all accounts and from what I've seen and from what I've read, he's actually been playing better than than Kante for large parts of the season so far. So. Um, I would certainly like to have seen him uh, be given a shot here, but there are a couple of, of of selections here that do make you think, you know, come on, Didier, sort yourself out. <laughs> but then the likes of Jale, you know, he has very little choice but to pick Jale because, okay, Courchier may be,
0: but who else? That's very much so. Who else? <laughs> Yeah, I'm also a little bit suspect on that maybe someone like Blaise Matuidi is maybe a little bit lucky now to get big hitting. and in. He's not an automatic starter for Juve as much as he was not really an automatic starter for, for PSG, and he's, his legs do seem to be slowly going away from him, and his bundle of energy was really the, the massive plus point for him for a long while, and once that starts to fade for him, I don't think he's anywhere near as effective, really, but yeah... I, How Kurt Zouma's not made the squad, I don't know. In all honesty, from what I've seen from Stoke City, and I've seen them about three times this season, twice with him in the squad, once where he was um, not in the squad, which is that Chelsea game. And he was man of the match by far in both the games that he played. He was absolutely terrific. A brick wall. He absolutely transforms that team defensively, even though they've got a fair amount of decent defenders. He's absolutely magnificent and the game he doesn't play against Chelsea what happens to Stoke City Uh well, not much at the back at least anyway so how he's not made it he's going to be a, well it's. I'm very very excited to see that he's, his injury that looked well, was very very serious has not curtailed what looked to be a very promising career he's Chelsea have to be looking at him and going they, they're bringing him back maybe even in January if they want to because he's a very very special footballer still and is <laughs> another we can add to that list of many many French and he, and he can
1: provide right back cover as well
0: and he can play midfield if needs be as well <laughs> he's, he's a he's a very good footballer really and he's only getting better which is a bit worrying but just a bit of a focus really very quickly on these two games, and I just want to get both of your answers on this very quickly. Um, they, they, they should be winnable games against Bulgaria. They've, they've beat them before. Well, they drew to Bulgaria, so that's a little bit of the worry. But uh, the uh, Belarus one should really be a, a formality, you would think. But then again, Liechtenstein would have been a formality. But my question is really, if, if Didier Deschamps doesn't get the two victories in automatic qualification, like a team with this talent should be, is it time for maybe the French football authorities to maybe think, should he stay rich?
1: Um, naturally. Yeah. I think that they will certainly look at that. You know, that his, his contract, I believe is still only up until the world cup. Um, I know that there have been very strong reports that, um, French football federation want to look at offering him, uh, a two year extension. Um, but certainly, if they, if they don't automatically qualify and, and, you know, have to get in via the playoffs or worse, still don't qualify full stop, then absolutely, you know, quite, I, I will, you know, I've been a huge fan of Deschamps as France coach for a number you know, number of years that he's, he's held the position. You know, I think what he's done for the squad overall, um, you know, from where, where they were, certainly where he, he first came in to where they are now. You can only admire what he's done for the for the team, but yeah, you know, ultimately, national team manager with the squad of players that he has, this team probably should have wrapped up qualification already. You know, so arguably they've already, you know, underperformed. Let alone the, you know, that dismal shine against Luxembourg. Um, but I, I'll use the I'll use almost use the right back argument for France. I don't know who else. Would come in. I don't know who else France could look to a point that would come in and take them to you know another level. Um, you know, if if they if they if they deem that Deschamps is not the man to do it, who? And, and and I ask this question, you know, every time people query Deschamps. I don't. I genuinely couldn't give you a realistic,
0: plausible alternative. Peter, do you think he, he might at least come under under serious scrutiny if they don't qualify?
2: Uh, absolutely. Um, I, Yeah. I mean, with the squad that France have, I, I completely agree with Rich. They, they should have wrapped up qualification by now. It's not a question of, you know, <laughs> they're dealing with a side that, you know, have lost a few talents, are so ageing a bit and struggling post the, the rebreed generation. It's, it's not like that at all. This is one of the, if not the greatest national pools out there, up they are up there, and they should be one of the favourites of the World Cup with the squad they have. Um, especially when you consider some of the players who aren't in this squad who are injured, namely Pogba, Dembele. He, he, for for France not to qualify would be um, would be uh, well a, na- a national disgrace really. And, I, and I, I I of course you applaud what Deschamps has done, but he has now almost been blessed with what can potentially be considered a golden generation of talent, and. Whilst, and he really should be getting the most out of them. I have a, cup, a couple of things I'd like, I'd like to throw at you, Rich, um, just because my knowledge isn't as, as strong. But um, first of all, with, with France, there's something I've always considered, um, is why they, obviously it's Deschamps, but do you not think a, a back three could work? Obviously, this would require a different coach. Um, I think I mentioned this last time we talked about France, but... In fullback positions, they're not strong at all. It's quite clearly their weakest position. And and at centre half, they have an absolute well, they have a, a trove of talent. Essentially, I mean, take Ramy aside, there is options beside him. But um, is that something that France could could you know look at longer term? I don't think they could do it for these games, of course, because of, it takes time to new, to adapt a new system. But I don't know. What, what do you think?
1: Well, it's it's obviously the the sort of formation of the moment, isn't it? Playing. It. The return of the three-man um, defence. Um, I think they certainly potential. Well, they certainly got the personnel that could that could adopt that. It's whether you know by playing three centre backs, by playing two wing backs, are you having to sacrifice another? You know, attacking, but attacking. You know, going forward, obviously, is where France are are. Yeah, they're strongest in terms of the, the personnel that they have available. It's it, the only question I think is whether by playing that formation, are you sacrificing one of those positions? But you know, it's not going to happen under Deschamps. Um, so you know, it, but certainly, I think with the the problems that are coming with, with you know, and by that, I mean right back, um, particularly it may be something that they are forced to look at. You know, if once Jalais has sort of bitten the dust and, and you're left with Courchere and some, you know, incredibly raw, incredibly untested, incredibly inexperienced options as your only alternative, um, you know, unless you count CdB, Cdb as a competent right back, which uh, I overdo, um, yeah, it may be that that that's that's a formation that's sort of forced upon France. Um, as I say, I, I just I just don't see it happening with Deschamps. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: And, and, and yeah, France will qualify. I, I can't see France not qualifying for this World Cup. And if they qualify for the World Cup, unless they go out in the group stage, I would fully expect Deschamps to sign a two-year contract extension. Oh, um. But yeah, so, so in short, yeah, I would like to see them give it a go and certainly they're going to have plenty of friendlies between now and the World Cup where they could try that. It wouldn't do any harm in a friendly match, but as we've seen so many times in friendly matches, and it's not the Deschamps thing, it's a, it's a broader coach, you know, national, national coach, thing, there's a real reluctance to experiment.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking when everyone's fit, you try and play a, th- a back three. You would, let's say, it's TT, Varane, and Kishelny would probably be expected th- back three. Everyone fit, you probably have Mendy as a, a wing back, and Bay as the other side, because although he's not great going defensively, he's. He- you can take more of a risk with him being a wing back, but then to balance that out, you might have to play Conte and Bakioko. Then you have to play Pogba, so he's playing as a part of that midfield three. And then it's two spaces for Griezmann et al., probably Mbappe, but then there's where's Lamar, where's uh, Marshall, where, where's Fakir if he was in the squad, Lacazette, Bele, and You start really rattling off the list, and it gets a bit. Insane, but let's let's finish off this evening with our, our Liga and snapshots, really, and we'll we'll try and keep this nice and brief. And I'll start with you, Peter. What's your League and snapshot?
2: Uh, just a couple of quick mentions. Um, first of all, Nice Marseille on uh, Sunday night uh, was a great festival of Liga football. Um, we had uh, <laughs> some terrible tackling that should have been punished earlier, and then a red card that you know was well overdue in Luis Gustavo. We had missed penalties. We had multiple goals from shocking defending. Um, and an entourage of mistakes. It was wonderful to watch, and it was thoroughly enjoyable. And Balotelli storming off at half-time, but didn't blow his lid. He's a new man at least, nice, I think. Um, and also, another note that Asua has now been sent off twice this season in eight games. The first, of course, was ridiculously harsh against PSG, and the second, uh, a little bit more justified. I haven't seen the first yellow card, actually, so don't hold me to that one. Um, but my overall snapshot is Kamp. Uh, uh, they definitely deserve a mention, and especially Remy Verkut. Uh, the keeper. They have conceded the least amount of goals this season, uh, just four, which is less than PSG. Um, they've had four clean sheets, and right now they sit fourth, I think, if that's right. Yep. Um, so, they've had a, a terrific start to the season, helped by the fixture list, of course, um, but they, but Patrice Gaon's men have started very well, and defensively, that's where it's at, and it's working for Claudio Ranieri as well. Yeah,
0: and we 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 mentioned just before we came on that that goal at Caen was a perfect summation of both club seasons. If you've not seen it, it crosses into Ivan Santini, who does a great touch and a great little second touch to get away from the defender. But he shoots, it saves off the goalkeeper, hits Rami Bensabaini and goes in. That shows you Caen's look <laughs> and Ren's, uh, missed misfortune, shall we say, all rolled into one magnificent moment. Um, Rich, what's your snapshot?
1: Uh, very quickly, it's just queries over video refereeing and video officiating. Two incidences where um, I think those question marks were raised. In the Ren game, Ren had a shot on goal, looked to have caught uh, Vakutra um, uh, slightly out of position, dived across, beat the ball out, um, and obviously the buzzer on the referee's arm gave it as a goal. Goals awarded, great. Actually, this referee gets called to the sideline. Replay gets shown. It's nowhere near crossing the line. I mean, it's 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 barely even on the, the digital picture that they bring up to show whether the ball has crossed the line or not. It's that far outside of, you know, the, 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 from a calm perspective, the right, the right side of the line. Um, so quite how on earth that buzzer went off to signal that it was a goal, I don't know. And then in the non-Mets game, into injury time, Mets awarded a penalty, which arguably shouldn't have been awarded in itself, so whether the video referee can be involved there, there's a question there, but the uh, Nolan Ruse steps up, takes the penalty, scores, referee, no retake for encroachment, correct. Penalty's retaken, Nolan Ruse skies over the bar, there's more encroachment, but that's not given. And for me that so it's not video referee's fault because that's not called upon, but that's another example, perfect example where the video referee could have, you know, stepped in, triggered something, correct decision would have been made. Because at that point you've got two very clear inconsistencies
0: and in fairness it, a video referee might not have given that penalty in the first place in the one in well, actually no, as that well. itself. yeah which is it, just, it just exacerbates that argument and it's worked quite nicely in in uh, both Bundesliga and uh, in Italy unless you're a Juventus fan who seem to hate it at the moment because it's giving decisions away against them um my league on snapshot is a, a nice uh, jovial one in it with which was the uh, strange red card at, at angers uh, Marcelo, was sent off. He booked for a persistent fouling, really, in the, in the aftermath, and he throws his arm nonchalantly in the air to, in the annoyance, let's say, to the referee, a, a, a gesture of more of a, uh, this isn't going my way, rather than in uh, in anger or anything like that, but it happens to coincide exactly with the moment the referee's bringing his card down with his arm flailing upwards, hits the referee's card sky high and the referee has no, ins- no without blinking even just straight heads back to his pockets to show him a red uh, Marcelo's face is a picture it shows maybe there's not enough humor in these league and referees sometimes but it's a tough one he probably doesn't realize it doesn't mean it in that moment because it does seem a little bit petulant on when you see it in full motion uh, but in all honesty uh, a little bit silly uh, a little call ahead should have really maybe prevailed in the end, but it um, didn't this time. And Marcelo Watson made for a very, very entertaining uh, game at the uh, Stade Raymond Copa. Um, that's all we have for the this week. Uh, my thanks to Rich, Peter, and everyone listening at home. There'll be no preview show this week, obviously, due to the international break, but the main show will be back at the same time, same place, next week. be until and goodbye.